We begin with the letter A. A is for... M is for murder. E is for... Danger! And, uh... Dodge. With... Monster. Help! Love me and be... Please! Help! Yeah. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another exciting, spine-tingling, shockingly horrifying episode of the Is4 podcast. Tonight, I am your ghoulish host, Monster, and with me is the Dashing Danger. I am not the Crypt Keeper. No. no but I am the not. Vault. I'm the Vault Keeper? That, uh, we'll get there. We'll get okay. there. Okay. And my my other lovely host, the scandalous Sarge. Why scandalous? I like it. Trying to do a little alliteration there. Personally, I think I nailed it. I, I'm, I, you make it sound like I'm like this whore. <laughs> you shiesty stuff. <laughs> your, I mean. your words, not mine, sir. <laughs> I mean, I you tend to wear boots and they fit, buddy. That is true. That is true. <laughs> Tonight on the S4 podcast, we are discussing the letter E is for EC Comics. Now, Danger, I know that you are very familiar with this topic, but Sarge, are you familiar with EC Comics in any real way, shape, or form? I mean, is that the uh, comic franchise that started off as educational comics, so the original founder died, then the son took it over, and a bunch of other crap? Really? Really? That's how you're going to respond to that question? Um, the answer, then, is okay. no, because you just read the first line of Wikipedia. Okay. <laughs> ah. no, fun, fun fact, ladies and gentlemen, I, I did not do any research on this whatsoever. I just Googled something real quick to try to fill in the void. Yeah. That was my best attempt. Well, void filled, because those are facts that I have coming up. So that that's what it feels like when you steal Dangerous Thunder. Void filled and oh. thunder stolen. Oh, he, man, filled, he, he filled the void with the stolen thunder. That felt more thunder stealing than usual, but that's okay. We'll move on. <laughs> now Sarge is going to fill himself with vodka. Enjoy. There you go. So EC Comics was originally named Entertaining Comics. They shortened it to EC, and it is a American publisher, comic books, and they specialized in horror, sci-fi, fantasy, war stories, crime drama, that kind of stuff. They sort of steered clear of the, of the superhero stuff. But however, that's not what they originally started printing because the original owner, Max Gaines, who Sarge so unceremoniously spoiled, passed away in a boating accident in 1947. And then his son, William Gaines, took over after that. And that's when they switched to the more mature stuff. When the company first started, it was much more educational based. And actually, they printed a whole lot of Bible stories as well. Yes, that in the uh, was it Max Gaines was the son. I get it mixed up, and his um, horrible father. Max Gaines was the dad, and he was very domineering to his son Will. He kind of often told him he wouldn't amount to anything. He was a very bad dad for all intents and purposes. Um, He's a bad man. He kind of was. Yeah, but um, I, I believe he wanted to do just Bible stories, if I remember correctly. Yes. So when Max Gaines, the dad, founded the company, he actually ended up merging with DC Comics in 1944. And that's when he started the, the line, Picture Stories from the Bible. All of the, the comics at that point were about 
actual science, actual history, and and uh, Bible stories. And then as it went on, that's when they changed formats to to other stuff. However, what I thought was really really interesting is that Max Gaines, who started this was actually one of the pioneers of the comic book as a medium in general. Isn't he the one that figured out if if you folded it to a certain uh, certain shape, a certain size, it was easier to hold? And exactly. I believe he actually discovered that from um, a newspaper. And he mm-hmm. folded up a newspaper just to be able to hold it and read it. I have done no research on this in <laughs> the in the recent past, aside from just listening to a few things today. This is all based off of uh, years of just general interest. So Danger's, Danger's got a vault of worthless information. Oh, there you go. There yeah. you go. Which is good. Which is good. That'll come in handy. So as it went on, like I said, uh, the sun took over and eventually it, it started to change content of, of what they were really doing. Another cool, interesting part about EC Comics versus Marvel and some of the other big publishers is they were really big on promoting their actual artists and story writers. A lot of the superhero comics tended to, I don't want to say downplay the illustrator, but you wanted Superman to look like Superman. You wanted Batman to look like Batman. You didn't want... I like it when Batman looks like Superman. (laughs) Right. Now you have a whole multiverse of problems. Whereas with EC, each artist and writer was... Their personal style was, you know, they wanted that to shine through in the pages and the panels. They had an uh, amazing pool of talent for the artists themselves. I feel like mm-hmm. the writing was was fairly generic at that time. It was tell a story, tell one of these types of stories. And it wasn't right. hard to come up with those types of stories, especially at that time, because at that time, everybody was pushing out stuff. You know, was this into right. the Ray Bradbury era yet? Um, oh, uh, we'll get to Mr. Bradbury. We'll right. get to him in a few minutes. Yeah, that's probably my favorite part of this whole story. So we'll we'll get to him in a few minutes. So as the the comic started to branch away from the Bible stuff, they started this whole series of different kinds of comics. Most famous are the three horror books, which are obviously how I kind of got into these, which were The Vault of Horror, The Haunt of Fear, and obviously the most famous one, the one with probably the biggest legacy, Tales from the Crypt. Um, Mad Magazine. Well, yes, yes. Um, which Mad, comes a little Mad more. wasn't a horror, but yes, I do believe Mad was. I, I had plenty of Mad Magazines when I was a kid. I had to hire them for my mom because she didn't like them. A very key thing to this is we are currently talking about EC Comics, and you guys are bringing up Mad Magazine. And that is a very important distinction that comes up later. Oh, okay. Now, in addition to these, in addition to the horror books that were were gaining popularity, they also had uh, a series of war comics called Frontline Combat and Two-Fisted Tales. Uh, They also had one called Shock Suspense Stories. They had Weird Science and Weird Fantasy, and they also had Crime Suspense Stories. You know who who else had war comics? Marvel, because they had the Punisher. Punisher went to war. In Captain America, right? In Captain America, right. I think Captain America is still an icicle at this point. <gasps> the, um, two, he's still a capsicle. Two-Fisted Cap-sicle. Tales sounds like an adult magazine. Oh, uh, God. <laughs> Why did you have to do that? Because everyone else's mind was going there. 
No, no, it, it, it wasn't. Not. It wasn't. But now that it's there, I feel like the uh, the adult spinoff magazine would be Tales from the Pimp instead of Tales from uh, the Crypt. See, see, we have yeah. good ideas. Yeah, the bulk. I would say we have ideas. I would not say they are good. Well, let's well, let's let's just get a hold of EC Publications and see what's going on. Let's, uh, let's see if we get Tales from the Pimp put out. You don't think Vault of Horrors has a better ring to it? It it does. <laughs> that, but, you know, I mean, you said there were three uh, horror magazines, so I get there be three horror magazines. <laughs> <laughs> so you mentioned earlier something about the writing, and you said that the illustrations and stuff were really cool at the time, but the writing was a little, you know, just get the story out there. They were most of the stories had that comeuppance tale. Uh, most of the stories revolved around. Somebody does something wrong and they go to get justice and then they get their comeuppance at the end. They always had these like little moral slash twist endings that, you know, by today's standards are a little bit can kind of see them coming. But at the time they were they were kind of fresh. They were not as pandering as like G.I. Joe. <laughs> right. And and a lot of times they would and, and folks at home can't see me doing this air quoting getting inspiration from a few uh, sources. That means uh, plagiarizing, they, ladies and gentlemen. Yes, it does. Um, it's only plagiarism in a lawsuit, okay? It's, it's inspiration sure, when you're not sure. being drunk through court. So a lot of these are kind of like public domain things, like the grim fairy tales and just sort of like old wives' tales and old folklore that you've been passed down for generations and stuff. But as Danger mentioned earlier they started to adapt a lot of Ray Bradbury stories. Now, they did this without asking him for permission. Mm. So I found this to be absolutely hilarious. So after some of his stories were published, Ray Bradbury wrote a very cheeky letter to EC Comics. And, this, and, and I have it right here. This is what he said. Just a note to remind you of an oversight. You have not as yet sent on the check for $50 to cover the use of secondary rights on my two stories, The Rocket Man and Kaleidoscope, which appeared in your weird fantasy, May, June 52, number 13, with the coverall title of Home to Stay. I feel this was probably overlooked in the general confusion of office work and look forward to your payment in the near future. My very best wishes to you, yours cordially, Ray Bradbury. What's really funny about this. Instead of making a big stink about it and trying to fight it and, and get rid of it, Gaines actually reached out to Bradbury and, and they worked out a deal and EC Comics became the official home for comic book adaptations of Ray Bradbury stories. They ended up doing 28 Ray Bradbury adaptations altogether. Okay, so two things. Uh, one, I think I'm going to just start working. I look forward to whatever it is into anything like I look forward to you going and making me dinner or whatever, you know? Um, <laughs> and what year is this? Uh, that was on April 12th, 1952. Okay. So this is not long before Ray Bradbury had a big hand in Epcot. I, I didn't know he did. Oh all. yeah. Oh yeah. No, Ray Bradbury had a uh, huge hand in creating Epcot. I think it was like, I don't know. This is probably about 10 years before he started to be approached by Disney, uh, the Disney company and all. But mm. um, yeah, he wrote um, Spaceship Earth, I believe, that's um, inside the big dome uh, circle thing at Spiky Circle. I don't know what the name of it is. 
but it might be called the, the spaceship. Earth. It's the golf ball. The big Disney golf ball. Yeah. It does look like a golf ball. Yes. Yes. It does. So all of these books were being published between the 40s and the 50s. And as you mentioned earlier, Mad Magazine was actually a side project of some of the editors from the EC Comics. And that started to be published in 1954. Uh, right about this time, the satire magazine was becoming kind of in vogue. It was a popular kind of story. They, they had other, there was other magazines around this time uh, that were very similar. But obviously, Mad Magazine is one of the most famous of, of all time. It still is an excellent magazine. Like if I find them on, on the stores, like when I go to like Walgreens or Walmart or even Barnes and Nobles and they still and, and they have copies, I'll pick them up. I mean, my kids are like, Dad, these are stupid. And I'm like, shut up. I didn't even know they were still in print. Rounded. Oh, no. yeah, they're still in print. Yeah, I didn't know they were still in print. And like I said, I had to hide any copy that I had because my mom hated them, which I was very confused, very confused and did not understand at all why my mom was okay with me having a banner that said mad, but it was spelled with two D's. Later, I found out it was for Mothers Against Drunk Driving, but I was very confused as a child when I was able to have this banner and, you know, this ribbon and I like tied it onto my book bag thinking I was cool because I had a mad magazine ribbon. Nah, I was just oh. a uh, 9, 10, 11-year-old boy oh, yeah. with a Mothers Against Truck Driving ribbon wearing it at school. Wow. <laughs> like That's everything so was you know, awesome. I honestly believe sometimes, because like I get like really excited when I see the new editions of Mad Magazine out. Like I'll pick them up and be like, oh, this is great. You know, so I think sometimes I think I personally keep them in business. And I want to believe that just like Luke wants to believe he personally keeps 311 alive. Oh, there's dozens of us. Uh, there's, there's dozens of there, us 311 there, fans. There's a full handful of those 311 fans. Um, we, <laughs> well, now that now that you told us I wouldn't say there's the even story, 311 of them. Go on. <laughs> now that you told us this story, Sarge, I will now notice uh, every time I go to Barnes & Noble and I pick up the new edition of Mad Magazine, if the back cover has been folded to try to see what the picture yes. is, I know you've been there. <laughs> so... Fun fact, fun fact about Mad Magazine, the folding picture puzzles, they used to be on perforated pages. Mm -hmm. So you could that. take them out of the magazine. And when I when you used to go buy Mad Magazines, you'd always have to flip and make sure someone didn't go through and pull the insert out so you could actually do the folding. I was going to say, Sarge has a stack of about 12 Mad Magazines and about 48 back pages that he tore off, just <laughs> left them in the store. You know, I'm not even going to lie. There were times when I didn't have enough money from mowing lawns that I couldn't afford to Mad Magazine. So I would go in there and, like, I have literally stolen Mad Magazines before. Yeah. Good thing the statute of limitations on, on stealing something's like, 10 years. So I'm not worried about it. Honestly, if somebody came after you for stealing mad magazines from when you were a kid, when you were still uh, dependent on lawn mowing money, <laughs> you know, which I, I mean, I respect the hell out of any person that works outside. But if you have a landscaping company and all you really do is mow in yards, aren't you still depending on lawn mowing money? Pretty much. If, if they came after you for uh, the mad magazines that you saw when you were, uh, let's go with 12, I feel like the best defense would be, I'm sorry. I'm just a little mad. <laughs> Fantastic. You're supposed, those, you're supposed to save those jokes till after. Nah, they're, the they're a part of me and just, they come out everywhere. So for people so that are, could be said. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's so why I'm trying to hurry you and get away from that. Um, 
for the people that have not seen or are unfamiliar with the Vault of Horror and the Tales from Tales from the Crypt um, series of comics, you really ought to look some of these up at least to see the cover art. the The artwork inside the pages has some really gruesome stuff, um, but it is that like nineteen forties fifties kind of muted colors. Mm-hmm. It's not as gruesome as these covers the the cover art on these are these huge drippy gross pictures and when i was a kid uh my dad had i don't know maybe 20 25 uh reissues because after they were published in the 40s and 50s they after they stopped publishing these they did reissues i want to say late 70s early 80s somewhere in that time frame and my dad bought a whole bunch of them Mm -hmm. so when i discovered them at you know, seven, eight, nine, however old I was, I loved them. I was hooked on those, but it was because of those big, gruesome covers. Oh yeah, the cover art was amazing, but you're right. The artwork inside was uh, very muted colors. And um, as a person that has uh, struggled seeing colors his entire life, I realized as an adult, looking back and reading through some of them, a lot of the colors that they used in those magazines did not help the colorblind community at all. It was just like greens for blood and stuff. I mean, it was like, it was weird color choices for things. And if you had trouble seeing color, you you, you were going to have a little, little bit of struggles getting through those. May I, may, I, may I take this off topic for like two seconds? Why what colors not? can't you see, Danger? I know, I can I can see all the colors. All the colors of the rainbow. Um, and I get, It's just when certain colors are close to each other, next to each other, like certain colors, you know, drown other ones out and stuff like that. But I mean... Such as? I'm, oh, like uh, when we get into shades, uh, reds, uh, certain grays, stuff like that. But you can only see primary colors. No, I can see colors. I'm not as bad as <laughs> some people, like my brother and my uncle. My uncle sees in black and white. I mean, if so somebody didn't tell him, he's not a canine. Yeah, um, like, <laughs> like, it's family. I can see a danger sign. Jesus. I, I was just curious because it's like I'm going through my list of jobs you can't do, like bomb squad technician. You know, that's gone. You can't you can't run a 3D movie. That's done. You know the old school ones with the red and blue lenses. Yeah, please tell me more careers that I don't want to have. So, <laughs> I mean, I'm good with these choices so far. <sighs> Moving on. Say something, monster. Put us back on a course of correction, if you want. I would like to. Um, so it, again, there are a lot of great stories, and we'll get into a few of the the stellar ones that you ought to check out. But at least glance at these covers because the the war books are cool, the suspense books are cool, the fantasy ones. But it's really the horror books that really jump off the page in in really gruesome detail. Now, I do um, want to ask you a question about this whole phase. It seems like it is so easy for those genres to overlap. Like it is really easy to do a horror war or whatever. Did they do any of that during that time? From the best that I can tell, because I've never actually read anything other than the three horror books. I haven't read any of the other series of of comics. But from what I can tell, most of them stay, the, the war books at least, and the crime books stay grounded in reality. Whereas the horror books might stay in plausibility, but they usually involve some kind of a supernatural element to them. Yeah. Um, okay. and, and I think that the science fiction ones and the fantasy ones 
were more geared to action and excitement and a little less terror. That's fair. You know, spread yourself out so you're not doing the same thing all the time. Sure. I do know that they did at one point in the horror books kind of mix up who the host is for things and blur storylines and reuse and whatnot. So, Right. So all three of the horror books had a horror host. The Witch. Oh, gosh. What was the one from The Vault? The Um, Vault Keeper? I think it was just The Vault Keeper. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And then, obviously, Tales from the Crypt, The Crypt Keeper. And, you know, they adapted him later on for the TV series, which, for the record, the the Crypt Keeper in the comics and the Crypt Keeper for the TV show are completely different characters. Mm -hmm. The one on TV is far more exciting and far more entertaining. Agreed. The other one is just kind of a creepy looking weirdo, like in a hood or something. Now, during this time in the late 40s, early 50s, in addition to kind of a comic, you know, comic book boom, do you know what else was going on that was really a big deal? Sorry, what time is this? This is in the 40s and the 50s. And I don't mean, I mean, within the context of comic books, not in world global politics. So that's a whole other thing. But during this time with comic books. It's kind of actually a bridge between the two, because if I remember correctly, this is when the hunt for communism came about and McCarthyism started spreading its way through show business and the Comics Code Authority was created. Exactly. Yes. And who did they go after first? Oh, well, EC Comics. Comics. Yeah. I mean, that's similar to parents going after Mortal Kombat when the rating system came out. I mean, you know, you're going to go after what is most popularly the worst one, I guess, is how you'd put that. And and Gaines actually had to go and sit on trial for some of these. Oh, I don't and, know that at all. Yeah, and and it, it was really the moral outrage is so much louder than the the actual impact that it has on society. Mm-hmm. Um, Absolutely. And so Gaines originally tried to work with them. He he actually started kind of his own rating system or, or was on the board for a comic book rating system, but actually stepped down because it ended up not really doing what he wanted it to do. And during this time, they were actually putting Comic Code Authority stickers on the front of comic books before they ship. Mm-hmm. And the reason that's important is because a lot of stores would not sell it if it didn't have that sticker on it very similar to like a parental advisory sticker on a music cd now fun fact do you know the company that actually started the end of the comics code authority uh symbol sticker because at one point they would just start they started printing them on uh, every Mm. issue um it's actually marvel had a a spider-man story that they wanted to tell and they felt like it was so crucial to things and they knew there was a couple things that wouldn't get past the Comics Code Authority. And actually, Stan Lee just went, what if we just put it out without it? What if we just put it out there? And they did. And then it was within like five to ten years, the Comics Code Authority completely disappeared because other companies stopped caring about it as well. And with a massive name like Marvel and Spider-Man, you can push through and people will seek it out. Yeah. But with EC Comics being such a niche market, they didn't have the... um, the word of mouth and, and shelf appeal to, to really fight it off. Yeah, they still had to do something to at least get put on the shelves. And so what got published after they stopped making these horror books? What is What were we just talking about it has still lived on to this day? Mad. Mad Magazine. Right. Now, because Mad was printed on glossy magazine paper, it was exempt from the comic book code. 
so they could get away with printing ridiculous stuff. Because again, these are the same illustrators, these are the same writers. It's just goofy, silly stuff instead of bloody, gory stuff. And And again, for anybody listening that hasn't looked at Mad Magazine, there's some gross shit in there. Like yeah. there absolutely is, and it's uh, there's a lot of cartoon esque violence when oh, yeah. when you really sit down and read through the Mad Magazines, like Spy vs Spy. That was my first introduction to Spy the Wiley Coyote Roadrunner style twist and turn comic book. Yep. So, and then after a while, like I remember owning, like my mom got me like the little boxed collector set of nothing but Spy vs Spy. Oh, Spy vs. Spy was, was great. That was actually one of the little segments I look forward to when Mad TV tried to step foot into television. Yeah. I was just Mad about to say. Mad didn't last long. No. no. And when Mad TV first started, I remember my dad being excited to see it because we thought it was going to be a little bit more connected to the uh, to the magazine. We were thinking less Saturday Night Live and more kablam or all that, you know, obviously some PG-13 rated R comedy, but a little more fast paced animation mixed with live action. Right. And it just didn't really do that. It just felt like a a knockoff of SNL and a bad one at that. Which it was. I mean, mean, that's what I first thought because, okay, so back when these shows came out, ladies and gentlemen, for those of you that do not remember are not old enough to remember, these shows didn't come out on DVR or they didn't have a preview you could really watch. Again, go buy the Sunday paper, get the weekly TV guide, and your dad and your mom would sit there in circle and highlight shit in there. You know, what they wanted to watch, where, why, what channel they were on, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And Mad, Mad, that's how Mad TV, like I first found Mad TV, was going through the TV guide. There was no commercial for it. I don't know how we knew it was coming on, but I just remember like when we knew they were going to make a mad magazine television show, what we ended up getting was not at all what we expected it to be. Well, I think uh, I don't remember how we found that it was coming on. I don't know if we (laughs) knew it was coming on. It was going to be a thing. I think it was just uh, a thing that we were clicking around one night and just found it. And then it's like dad looked at the clock and was like, okay, this started 15 minutes ago. We're going to bookmark this in my head. And then from then on out, I don't remember what night it was. I guess it was probably competing with SNL. So I'm going to guess Saturday night. I don't know. But it was like, he just kind of bookmarked that in his mind and mom did the same thing. And, you know, that was kind of how we did things a lot as kids is we just would find something we liked on TV and be like, okay, it's this night and it's this time. So we're going to back up by 15, 20, 30 minutes, whatever appropriate. And then it's like, okay, so this is something I want to see more of. We need to be here. You know, it wasn't until years later that uh, I got curious in our new house and I hooked up the coax cable and stole cable for a while um, (laughs) and found the channel with the rolling, you know, guide of what shows are playing. And that was the first time I don't remember ever getting the TV guide when I was younger, but that was the first time I was like, okay, so we're going to sit here for 20 minutes and wait for the one little block of a channel that I wanted to watch to roll up the screen and go, okay, then that's that's the, the show I want to watch isn't coming on tonight. And look, and, and I'm, I'm not going to say anything that, you know, other comedians and stuff haven't said better. But to a certain generation, you will never understand what it was like to be watching a show and you have to get up and go pee. But you don't want to pee because you want to wait for a commercial break. But it's one of them real short commercial breaks. So you miss part of it when it comes back. 
it was watching TV was a, a, an event. It was a sport. You had to participate. Now you just pause your Netflix or your Disney Plus and you go do whatever you want to do. You used to, like you were just saying, Danger, okay, this show we want to watch comes on at 8. It is 7.15. I have to finish cooking dinner. I have to wash the dishes. Mm-hmm. I have to do these things before 8. Or I'm going to miss this show. And I'm right. not going to get to start it over. Hopefully I'll see a rerun of it later. But yeah, you had to actually stop what you were doing to watch what you wanted to watch. Yeah. Well, and it's not just that. It's not just a TV guide scrolling. I mean, it's like when there was a weather delay and you were up to go to school, sitting in front of the TV, watching the ticker scroll across the bottom. And then like you blink and you miss your school. So you have to wait to see what was going on. Think about this way, ladies and gentlemen, and especially you two, because you two, this will hit real close to home. Is this going to be a tearjerker? Am I going to tear? No. It's, okay. Remember when there used to be small TVs in almost every room of the house, right? Oh, we had is this three why TVs. Our generation, One of them was black and why, white. Is this why our generation likes open concepts from kitchen to living room, from dining room to living room? No, no. I'll tell you why we like open concepts. It's, you know, in the house, of the, the house that we had, it was like the three TVs were in different rooms. People could be in different rooms and you're not, you know, there was no bleed over of sound. We like the open concept in case we have to go back to the kitchen wall phone with the long ass cord so we could go all around the house without having to bend around doorways and things. I mean, I guess we were one of those highfalutin families that had cordless house phones. Oh, no. I remember when we finally got a cordless phone and I laughed my ass off because my dad got mad at me for using the cordless phone during a thunderstorm because he thought I was going to get shocked. (laughs) I will Speaking of the weather, the weather stuff, I will never forget the time we were trying to watch the NCAA tournament and there was a snowstorm. And so the bottom third of the the screen was taken up by, like you said, school closings and stuff like that. There was a little picture of a radar in like the bottom left Mm -hmm. corner. There was something scrolling across the top, blah, blah. My dad actually called the television station and said, look, we are trying to watch the game. Get this shit off of the screen and they did they actually did like minimize some of it and like push it further to the side i don't think my dad was the only one that called probably not all right so i've got one more thing to say about tv at the time but there was there was one thing that drove me nuts about the whole thing you would you know bookmark in your brain on when a show come came on what night it came on what time it came on you would go ahead and hurry up and you know finish eating dinner doing whatever you had to do to go sit down in front of it. And right at the peak of the show, they would start testing the national broadcast emergency equipment. And you would get the, so because we have gone wildly off topic, I'm going to use this as the best possible segue I can find into the legacy of EC comics. So, Needless to say, out of aside from possibly Mad Magazine, the most famous of all these books and stuff, Weird Science is is kind of well known. They made a TV show. I don't know if it's really based on the comic, but it shares the name and, and loosely based themes. Um, is the movie Weird Science based off of the comic at all? I have no idea if there's any correlation. So. Loosely yeah, I based. Don't think so. I think it's it's similar subject matter. I believe that um, I've never seen the movie Weird Science, but it has something to do with them trying to like create a woman, right? They do create a woman, and then 
one of the best, most hilarious scenes that I didn't get as a kid, but I get now as an adult in every way. Uh, after they create the woman, beautiful woman, and then they go take a shower with her, but it's the two guys in their bathing suits in the shower, <laughs> just standing in the corner of the shower, just watching her shower. And it, it, you know, as an adult, it cracks me up. I can say for a fact, there is a lot of woman creating in weird science comics. So that's, they probably did get some kind of inspiration. But the Tales from the Crypt uh, has kind of had a bit of a longevity since they stopped publishing the comic book back in the uh, in the 50s. Yes, Obviously actually, I just searched Weird Science and their Wikipedia page. The title is taken from a pre-Comics Code Authority 1950s EC Comics magazine of the same name. There you go. Yeah. All right. There you go. So I think everybody knows the TV series, Tales from the Crypt, that was aired in the early 90s. But do you guys remember the movie, Tales from the Crypt? Mm, which one? There's a couple, wasn't the, there? Well, mm -hmm. okay. So there was a couple of movies, Tales from the Crypt Presents. But yeah. there was an actual Tales from the Crypt film. This was in 1972. And it was, uh, and I don't remember exactly, but it's a Hammer film. And it's got... Peter Cushing and Christopher Lee and all those guys in it. And then 1973, they did The Vault of Horror. Very similar to the comic book, it told uh, multiple short stories, little vignettes within one film. Mm -hmm. A modern, a more, a slightly more modern version of this was in 1982, a little film by the name of Creep Show, which is <laughs> one of my all-time favorites. It's George Romero directed, Stephen King written film. It's Hit the best created. acting job ever. The best acting job ever. Stephen King was more coke than man. He did the best he could. <laughs> um, the whole film is designed to look and feel like an EC comic. If you're not much for reading and you don't like comic books, but you want to get a feel for these these books. Just watch Creepshow. It even has segments where it actually breaks into comic book panels. Mm -hmm. um, and there is like a ghostly figure that acts as a, a horror host. It doesn't really say anything, but it appears in between the shorts and stuff. It really does an amazing job of capturing the spirit of those comics. Which I did think it was a neat gimmick, if you will, that they did break out certain parts to look like a comic book. I thought it was a good bridge between... That was when they were still trying to make uh, movies out of comic books to look like comic books instead of movies out of comic books to look like movies like they do now. Right, right. Yeah, it, it did a really good job of trying to capture that vibe. Um, and then, of course, 1989 began the Tales from the Crypt TV series that everybody knows and loves. Hold on, wait. Um, we're going we're gonna to skip past Bordello of Blood? No, 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 no. We're getting there. Okay. We're getting there. All right, sorry, yeah. sorry. Bordello of Blood comes after the TV series has already been up and running for a while. What, you um, come out? I don't know. We'll get uh, there. We'll get there. Yeah, we'll, we'll get, get there. there. We'll get there. So, you know what? I don't have the date of the movies, but I can pull them up. So, 1989 is when the TV series starts. It starts on HBO. I remember watching these with my dad. It was HBO, so they could get away with a little bit more than they could on regular stations. It did get syndicated on the Fox and the other networks. And what's crazy, what is absolutely mind-boggling, the 90s were a different time, folks. There really? were two children's-oriented spinoffs that starred the Crypt Keeper in, like, animated yes. shenanigans. Yes. Mm -hmm. HBO, HBO had Tales from the Crypt. I remember staying up, sneaking out to watch that. Cinemax, we called that Skinemax After yeah. Dark. 
And, you know, we used to sneak out at and watch that. So there was a little bit you could get away with on them premium channels. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Did you did you pull up the dates for the, the following films? Well, I mean, I just I went straight to Bordello of Blood because that was what I asked. It didn't. I, I, I'm not exactly sure. Maybe you'll you'll have the dates for me. But the TV show basically spawned off three films. Uh, the three are Bordello of Blood, Demon Knight and Ritual. I think Demon Knight and Bordello of Blood both have a little bit of a following and people like it. From what I've seen and heard of Ritual, don't waste your time. It's, yeah, it's well, I mean, if you want to get into it, I mean, there is some some names of notoriety to Demon Knight and Bordello of Blood. Like, oh, absolutely. Like Demon Knight had Billy Zane, uh, William Sadler, Jada Pinkett uh, before she was Smith, and then mm-hmm. uh, Thomas Hayden Church. And then Bordello of Blood had uh, Dennis Miller and Angie Everhart. And I had mentioned this before in a previous episode. Do you know who wrote Bordello of Blood? Oh, Bob Gale and Robert Zemeckis of Back to the Future. Robert Zemeckis was a big part of the TV show as well. Mm -hmm. I know that. And what's also cool about the TV show is it ran for 93 episodes. Obviously, with that many episodes, that's a lot of stories they have to tell. And they got a lot of the stories from the EC comic source material. Okay, so I had completely forgot about this until I just came across it. But you missed something that was a spinoff of Tales from the Crypt. Yes, it had the uh, the children's animated series. But do you know what other show it had? It had a radio series, which you know, I don't really care about radio series. It had a game show. And it was the secrets of the Crypt Keeper's Haunted House. It was a children's Saturday morning game show that ran on CBS. They threw in the Crypt Keeper's Haunted House game show into the middle of the Saturday morning cartoon block. Telling you folks, the 90s were a different time. They absolutely were. <laughs> so, I completely forgot about this, but God, I want I, I want to find episodes of this now. There were shows that like, it would just, this brand just brings back, you know, like, it reminds me of like the Outer Limits and Are You Afraid of the Dark? Um, well, you can go even further back into the 40s and 50s with the Twilight I'm Zone. I'm, I'm not that old. Well, you're closer than we are. Well, yes, but that's not saying much. Yeah. I'm saying, I mean, I mean, some of this, it just reminds me of like... Are you afraid of the dark? Okay, so in defense of Sarge's age, and this is probably the only time I'm going to defend it, I do believe I have more gray hair than any, either of you combined. So I, that's uh, because I have good genetics and will never get gray hair. I, I won't argue with you. I think you are absolutely correct. I mean, I have them coming off of my face as a very prominent thing in the middle of my black-ass beard. I got these gray-ass hairs. You kind of have the facial version of Rogue going on. You know, no. she had that white stripe in her hair. You have it in your beard. No, see, if you look where when the gray... Touch, when you touch her woman, it, does she, like, start to shrivel up? No, but if you look at the gray of my beard, she it looks like I'm... away in fear. It looks like I'm drooling gray hair. Like, it just is coming out of the corner of my mouth. No, she doesn't cower in fear. She comes closer because she loves me. She loves right. me. Right. Uh, so speaking of... I was going to say, that is a, uh, a, a good thing to bring exactly. up since we are talking She loves about me. Absolute horror and disturbing things. What one last thing, and just to kind of wrap up here, the thing that made these comics so interesting, there was the shock value of the covers and the blood and the gore and the fact that these were quote unquote horror magazines being advertised to children and they were gonna of course rock the minds of kids and all this nonsense. 
these were some of the first publications to actually tackle things like racism and sexism and like really deep, heavy topics. But just like everything, horror always gets the short end of the stick. And because it is in a lewd graphic connotation, they're not taken as seriously as they probably should be. Well, comics have always been on the forefront of progressive ideas about society. I mean, Marvel in itself. I mean, if you look at some of the main characters, you know, the group, okay, X-Men. I mean, that's all about, you know, the racist divide. I mean, Marvel was the company that had the first black superhero, the Falcon. I mean, they had, um, or the first African-American uh, character of the Falcon because Black Panther was around, but he's actually African. And DC did uh, quite a few things in themselves. I mean, they had Aquaman. That was putting homosexuality out there really early. I don't like Aquaman. Um, you know, it's comics have always been on the forefront of pushing that entire narrative. They just kind of get bowled over and forgotten about and treated as child playthings. So... I have a list here of the top 10 EC Comics stories, and I won't, I won't go through the whole list, but a couple of them, just to give an example, just, just two or three to touch on here, is there was an issue that came out in one of the, uh, the war magazines called Impact. The name of the story was Master Race, and it's all about this guy who's essentially on a train and he's reminiscing about all these atrocities that he saw and people are like real sympathetic to him. And he's, he's kind of going on about all the horrors that he saw in these Nazi concentration camps. And as the story progresses, you realize he's saying all these things. He was one of the ones running the camp. And so there's that twist, that moral comeuppance there at the end. Another really good example of this one, and I don't, I don't think it's listed on the top 10, but it probably should be, is there's this one where this Jewish family moves into the neighborhood and all the townspeople are like, ooh, no, we can't have this family here. And they try to burn down their house and run them out of town and all this stuff. And then at the end, you realize the ringleader of this group is actually adopted and has Jewish parents. There, there's the moral dilemma again. But the the one that is considered like, and I, I've looked at a couple different lists and stuff. One of the absolute best of all of the EC comics is this one out of Weird Fantasy Volume One, Issue Eighteen, called Judgment Day. Now, the way this story works is this astronaut goes to this planet, and when he gets there, he discovers that there are two races of robots. One is blue, one is orange. For all intents and purposes, they are considered 100% identical. They act completely similar. Everything's the same. They just are colored different. As he's trying to figure out like what's going on here and all this stuff, the blue ones are deemed inferior, and they have fewer rights than the orange ones. So whenever the astronaut sees the, you know, the bigotry and the racism, he says, hey, we can't stay on this planet, blah, 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 and he leaves. It ends with him taking his helmet off to reveal that he's an African-American uh, under, under the spacesuit. And when this first came out, the codes and whatever wanted them to change it. They were like, you can't do that, you know? Mm -hmm. And that's, again, this just shows you not just EC Comics, comic books in general, just honestly, science fiction and horror media in general always kind of stepped on the toes of what was acceptable. So 
I came up with a theory about this. And if it's a theory that is somewhere else and I don't know, and you could go ahead and say that I'm copying this from somewhere. I don't, but you're drawing inspiration. I am gathering information and putting it in this brain and I'm spitting out. Words. I will write you a letter to remind you that I haven't received my payment yet for my idea. I'm looking, and we'll, forward, we'll go from there. I'm the looking forward to payment. I'm looking forward to the payment. I'm, I'm looking forward to having, no, I'm not looking forward to having to go buy a guest bar, but anyway. Uh, so thought on why, you know, comic books were a place for these progressive ideas. Who were some of the people that were in charge of EC, Marvel, DC, Jewish, Jewish men. Americans, right? <laughs> and what was happening during the forties, the thirties and forties, not so much in the thirties, yep. but you had these, uh, these men, you know, their entire people were being ostracized, murdered and whatnot. And so then they go and they create these stories, you know, this one art form they're able to succeed in, not saying that Jews can't succeed in other art forms, but just saying, you know, this one art form that they found a, a niche in at this time, it kind of makes sense to me that they would make these characters that are larger than life and strong and could do whatever they need. And then also over at EC, they tell less superhero stories, but still stories that have to do with equality and the, you know, African-American and the Jewish man. And what I mean, like all these things, it just makes sense when you look at who was making them and where they came from and what was probably on their mind more than anything else. You know, in full disclosure, I I did do a little bit of research for this and that was something that I did not come across, but I think that is 100% accurate. If you've ever met a Holocaust survivor before, which, which some of you may have, some of you may have not, uh, my grandmother was friends with a Holocaust survivor and they are extremely, extremely proud, proud people. They're, they're so prideful, in fact, Makes that... Sense. Some stuff that like you would think like you they'd want to talk about, they they keep to themselves. I think having the EC comics as number one as, as an outlet for them to bring awareness to some things, social issues back in the 40s, 50s is amazing. But also some of their stories is turnabout is fair play and, and, and some of those stories, like the one with the uh taxidermist that this yeah. guy picked up taxidermy just to annoy his wife. And ended up taxiderming the cat, and the wife got mad, so killed the husband, and then taxidermied him. I mean, turned out fair play in some of these things. And you're looking at that, you're like, "Huh, I I see now." I hope she doesn't take up taxidermy. (laughs) (laughs) One of the most famous stories in the EC comics is also one of the best. It might have actually been the first episode of the Tales from the Crypt TV series, all through the house, which is where. A wife murders her husband and it's like Christmas Eve or whatever. And at the same time, a deranged mental patient escapes the asylum, shows up at her house dressed as a Santa Claus and is trying to murder her. Well, she can't call the cops because she just murdered her husband. And turns out that they have a daughter and the daughter calls the cops and, you know, she ends up getting getting caught that way. Like you said. It's always the person doing the bad thing usually gets their comeuppance at the end. Oh, yeah. Whether it's quote unquote moral or not is is up to for debate, I guess. I remember one tells it a crip episode. I don't remember what it's called because this is like again, I haven't watched this in twenty something years. It's the I have one a few where, of them. 
I have a few of the box sets on DVD, actually. I've been meaning to get the whole thing. I haven't yet, but I've got two or three seasons of it, though. Well, I just saw them all on HBO Max, if I'm not mistaken. And yeah, so I was going to dive into them there. Yeah. The kids are swimming on a lake and they can't get off the uh, little floating dock out there because there's something in the water that starts pulling them in whenever they start to get close to the edge of the, of the floating dock. I, hmm. I don't. I, I can't remember which one, which Tales of the Crypt episode it is. That actually sounds like uh, one of the shorts from Creep Show Two, The Rat. It, it could be. It could yeah. be. It could so be both. I was, honestly, I, mean, I was just like that made me scared to death of water for like a week. Because the next week <laughs> I went to scout camp and I was like, "F this." I remember <laughs> watching. I remember watching them. I cannot tell you a single episode. I vividly remember watching them, but I have no idea. I mean, the most I remember Stephen King and his, um, <laughs> you know, I feel like they should probably show that at like rehab and stuff. Like this is what addiction looks like. <laughs> yeah, No joke. Yeah. There's uh, honestly, I remember more than anything, the introduction. I remember that sweeping mm-hmm. camera, through the Crypt Keeper's mansion. Looked like the coolest haunted house ever to walk through. To just kind of wrap things up here, just like a lot of horror, just like a lot of entertainment in general, it becomes dated over time. And these things that were shocking and lurid and just mind-blowing in the 40s and 50s is kind of tame compared by 2022 standards. But if you are a fan of horror, if you're a fan of comic books, if you're a fan of just old school media in general, I would highly recommend checking some of these out. If you've got a short attention span, you don't like to read, maybe check out Creep Show, maybe check out a couple episodes of Tales from the Crypt. But I think EC Comics Legacy has definitely helped shape horror the horror landscape today its impact is felt still within the horror community and then on the flip side mad magazine still running today still a successful parody magazine still funny so ec comics may not necessarily exist anymore but the legacy lives on well i would venture to say further than just it's still legacy still lives on in horror i'm sure that if we really dig in deep enough, we could find inspiration or at least people that read the uh, EC comics when they were a kid. And now they're older in making movies, video games, writing comics themselves that are kind of doing things in a way that EC comics probably changed their brain a little bit, you know, changed what they liked a little bit more. It would not shock me in the least to find out that Tim Burton, Jordan Peele, Jason Blum, these guys, at least have a passing familiarity with EC Comics and specifically the horror comics. See, Obviously, as, as you name off those names, I think I remember uh, watching an interview with Tarantino where he was talking about how great EC Comics were when he was a kid. So, especially like the crime well noir, yeah, the crime noir comics. I can see a lot of that in, in Tarantino's films mm-hmm. for sure. So I'm sure that there's uh, inspiration in modern pop culture all over the place that we're just not aware of. So let me ask you guys this. What do you call a walking nun? Roman Catholic. Ah, incorrect. Virgin mobile. Mm. (laughs) (laughs) It's good. Uh, Thank you. Thank you. All right. 
I want to ask you guys a question. What kind of teacher never farts? A private tutor. For those at home who can't see me and can't hear me, because I'm laughing so hard, I'm not making a sound. (laughs) All right. I do have a question for you guys. And this was actually something that I asked the kids and one of the kids got. I was was surprised. But what word becomes shorter by adding two letters? Short. I wanted to say that and I thought, no, I can't be right. <laughs> All right. I got more, but I'll, I'm going to, I'm going to save them. Uh, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> That's uh, fair. That's fair. An honor of danger. Ooh, I haven't been honored in a while. You're going to be honored. I just found out I'm colorblind. The news came out of the purple. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> I can't. There's nothing left to say. That was that was for the record. I don't think I would be classified as colorblind. I just have trouble with some colors. Jeez, what the hell would that make you then? I just to be clear, I'm editing this episode, and I'm going to take danger saying I just have some problems with some colors, (laughs) and I'm going to cut that part out and just leave it out in the open and let people take it however they want to take it. Um. You know, you know what? I may have offended some people who are colorblind. So here we go. Here we go. Where do pirates get their hooks? From a secondhand store. Ah, see what you did. I see what you did. (laughs) What is a pirate's favorite fast food restaurant? Arby's. Ah, you'd think so, but it's actually Long John Silver's. Oh. Yeah. That's yeah. God. I okay. Well, yeah. we have to stop this. We have to put a stop to this. I hate my job. I crush cans all day. It's so depressing. Ooh, okay. <laughs> Thank you guys for tuning in to the S4 podcast. Tonight has been the letter E <laughs> for EC Comics. I am Monster. With me is Sarge and Danger. Thank you for tuning in. We will see you next time. <laughs> Bye. Bye. Later. Long farewell. I'll meet you soon. Adieu. It's over. Done. Done.